0: So we're going to talk about something more important to me, which is Jesus saying he is the resurrection and the life. And this I am statement to me uh, reminded me of, of an iconic thing that many of us have. How many of you have jumper cables in your car? Show of hands. Come on now. Who has jumper cables, right? Everybody's got some jumper cables. These are nice, right? These are just beaut- These are dirty. I don't know why I'm wearing them. When do you need jumper cables? I know it seems really obvious. When you have a, ba- a dead battery, right? When you left your lights on in the mall parking lot uh, because it's, you thought it would be good to turn your lights on for some reason, right? And you left your car on and your battery dies. You have the drive in, listen to the radio, and it dies, whatever, right? You don't need me to mansplain that. But you get your, your jumper cables and you jump your car because it needs a jolt. It needs life. It needs to get started back up. And when Jesus shows up in this story in John chapter 11, he is in a situation that needs a jolt. He's in a situation that needs life and resurrection. And you think about him saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, the only reason you need jumper cables is if something is dead. The only reason you need resurrection is if something's dead. He talks about life because he's in the circumstance of death. In that moment, in John chapter 11, look at the moment where he shows up with the jumper cables for the soul in a situation that's shadowed in what? Death, grief, mourning. John chapter 11, verse 17 and 19, Josh just read it. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. It's not difficult for us to describe this situation that they're in, is it? You can think of the words that would characterize it, the sadness, the mourning, the depression, the grief, the heaviness. And I think it's not difficult for us to describe because we live in that. At different times in our life, we feel that we're surrounded by it, right? We live in a broken world. So we're surrounded by death, we're surrounded by sickness, unemployment, bankruptcy, Uh, suicide, divorce, rejection, all of these things that kind of cloud our lives and carry that heaviness around our lives. That's the kind of situation that Jesus is walking into. And it's in this moment, surrounded by all these people, Mary and Martha, that's what's so interesting, they're surrounded by all these people and they run to Jesus. They leave the crowd of people. Yeah, that's nice, you want to sit here and have a coffee cake and cry with me? I'm out. I'm going to go be with this guy. Why? Jesus is the only one with jumper cables. Jesus is the only one that can spark something. He's the only one that can say and really mean it that he is the resurrection and the life. Who else can say that? He is the resurrection and the life. He's the only one there. In John chapter 11 verse 25 when he says he is the resurrection and the life. Let's think about that statement for a moment because that's a big statement. What does that mean? When he says when Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life, what does that imply? What does that mean? He's talking about his identity. He's talking about his divinity. He's talking about his power. That's a big statement, right? If I stood in front of you and said like I am the resurrection, did you just watch like a Star Wars sci-fi movie? Like, what do you mean? You are the resurrection, right? You know, I am the life. Like what he's saying here is he is life. He is the giver of life. He is the restorer of life. He is the resurrection, meaning he conquers death. That's a big statement. He's dabbling in God's business when he says this. This is not something that you and I as humans can do. How many of you have brought people back to life? Four days dead? Anybody? Bring them back? No, right? This is God's business, and so when he says this, he's speaking to his divinity. He's speaking to his identity and his power, but he's also foreshadowing something. His own death. His own resurrection. Ponder this question with me. How many people do you know predicted their own death? Predicted that three days later they would come back from the dead? And then actually did it. Who could predict their death, say that three days later they would rise from the dead, and actually do it? Anybody? I mean, Justin Bieber's great, but he can't do that, right? There's a lot of people in our world that are really powerful and influential and have a lot of influence and carry a lot of weight in our culture, but they can't do what Jesus did. He predicted his death predicted his resurrection, and actually did it. So when he says he is the resurrection, he is not only speaking to the power that he has, but also he's foreshadowing what is coming. That he can conquer death. That death has no power over him. And yet, it's in that moment. That's why Mary and Martha run to him. There was something in him that they saw that drew them to him. That in our loss and in our grief and in our tragedy, Jesus is the one that we run to. John, who wrote the Gospel of John that we were just reading from, also wrote a letter to the early church called 1 John. He wasn't very creative. He wrote his letter. No? It's not a joke. It is a joke, but relax. Uh, we're talking about death here, but it's okay to, to make a quip here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, he lays it out real simple when he talks about Jesus being the life. He says, he who has the Son has life. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. It does not get much more simple than that. Jesus is saying he is the resurrection and the life. John is reiterating that point after the fact, saying he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Jesus is the only one with jumper cables, and we all got dead batteries. He's the only one that's going to resurrect us and I want to look at that idea of Jesus resurrecting us because Jesus' resurrection, as he's foreshadowing it, is what? It is the turning point in history. Think of a more catalytic moment in history. It all pivots on the resurrection. Look at Scripture. It's all building to the ministry and the life and the death of the Messiah. The resurrection is the turning point. When did the church explode? It's after the resurrection. Boom. It took off. When you read the New Testament scriptures, what do they constantly point to as the catalytic moment? It's the resurrection. This is the moment in history that changes everything. Why? Because that is the moment that we believe sin was conquered, death was conquered, brokenness is conquered. It is through the resurrection that all of us have what? A path towards life. All of us who would believe, all of humanity has this path towards life. And it's made possible because of his resurrection. And when he says the resurrection, he is the resurrection, and he he, he lives that out and 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 actually resurrects himself. That is such a, a catalytic moment that that language becomes something that is used to articulate our salvation journey. As you look at the scriptures, right, the the idea of death and resurrection comes up a lot in the New Testament because that is imagery, that is vocabulary that helps us articulate what's going on in our heart and in our mind and in our soul because of Jesus. This idea of being dead in our sin but alive in Christ constantly reiterated throughout the New Testament. Even looking at water baptism in Romans chapter six, here's a scripture about water baptism. The apostle Paul is talking to the Roman church and he's using this vocabulary of resurrection when talking about Getting baptized. Look at this vocabulary here. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. You see, so that water baptism imagery, that death in sin, that burial in our death, right? Being raised to new life. We're united with Christ as the resurrection. We're united in his death, but we're united in his resurrection. And water baptism epitomizes that. It it illustrates that. It articulates that. It visualizes that. Our death to sin, our death to addiction, our death to brokenness, our death to selfishness, being raised to new life. If you haven't been baptized, I encourage you, uh, we're going to have an opportunity at picnic, our picnic next week. What a great chance to get water baptized and to visualize and to symbolize and represent and celebrate what God has done internally. I mean, think about it. Like, that gives us vocabulary to articulate, man, this change that Jesus has. You know what that change is? You were dead in your sin, and resurrection power brought your soul back to life. The, gen- the, the, the resurrection power got these jumper cables on your heart and went clear and brought you back to life. And that's what water baptism is representing. It's representing the jolt that your soul felt when you met Jesus. And it celebrates that with other people. And I encourage you, if you haven't gotten baptized, let's do it. Let's do it next Sunday at the picnic, man. It's going to be great. And if that doesn't work for you, we'll have another time. We'll figure that out. But it it epitomizes this idea of what Jesus is saying. He is the resurrection and the life. And he resurrects us. And I, I know that there's some that would say, yeah, he resurrects them. He resurrects them, but he doesn't resurrect me. Ever felt disqualified from resurrection power? Ever felt not good enough? Your situation is too broken, fractured, too dead? Some of you are nodding. Lazarus was in the tomb for how many days? Four. I mean, he's stank. His sister's like, I love him, but don't open that. That's bad, right? He was dead. Their culture, and this is not a biblical theology, but their culture believed at that time that after three days, his soul was gone, Right? That's not, we don't believe that. But that's what they believed in that time and in that, in that culture. And so by day four, they're like, no, he is just, he is worm food. He is done. Don't open that tomb. And what does Jesus do? He brings a resurrection power and life to a situation that is dead, dead. And some of us are looking at our marriages. We're looking at our homes. We're looking at our lives. We're looking at our sin. We're looking at our patterns of behavior. We're looking at our addictions. And we're saying, Sean, it's dead, dead. And I read this story and I say, nobody is too messed up. Nobody's too broken. Nobody's too dead to resurrect. Nobody. Nobody's battery is so drained that Jesus can't revive us. And he resurrects us to life. He says he is the resurrection. And the life he's resurrecting us to eternal life, right? This idea, Jesus keeps eternity in his in his scope of everything that's happening, right? Picture that that sad, somber scene, and, and he's having these conversations with Martha about your brother's gonna rise again, and she's like, Yeah, I get it. Like in, in eternity, he's gonna come back, right? And Jesus' is like, Yeah. But there's more to that picture. But yeah, and, and in verse 25 and 26, we see eternity within the scope of Jesus' conversation when he says, he who believed in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. It sounds like a little bit of a conundrum, you know. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and he who whoever lives, this is a tongue twister, man. Jesus is just like tell me simply. But what he's saying there, whoever lives and believes in me will never die, echoes one of the most quoted verses of all time, John 3:16. That whoever believes in him would have life. Jesus resurrects us to eternal life. That's what's waiting for us is eternity. That is important. Jesus is bringing eternity into this situation. I know you're somber. I know you're grieving. I know you're sad, right? And and do you believe this? Whoever believes in me is going to have eternity. He's got this eternal perspective in this somber moment. Jesus being the resurrection and the life changes the way that we look at our circumstances. It changes the way you're going to look at whatever is coming this week or whatever you're living in right now, whatever you're grieving right now. Jesus bringing eternity changes the way that we look at it, right? It's like a roller coaster. Life is a roller coaster. Would anybody agree? Right? I can't even get a hallelujah on that one, right? Life is a roller coaster, Well, it's not really a praise Jesus statement, I guess. Yeah, don't say hallelujah to that. But it's a true statement. Life can be a roller coaster. How many of you know what's coming this week? You don't. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. You're going to have jolts. You're going to have twists. You're going to have turns. Something could happen this week that you did not see coming. Life is, is really a roller coaster. But when you're riding a roller coaster... What keeps you in place? What keeps you secure? The lap bar, right? That thing where the like teenage employee has to come and pull on it. Yeah, you're good. I'm like, I hope so. No matter what that roller coaster's throwing at you, it's got you. No matter what life throws at us, there is a sense of security and a sense of strength, knowing not that everything's gonna be better right now, but knowing that there's eternity. In the scope of eternity, I can sit secure in whatever life is going to throw at me. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I'm still going to get jostled this week. Still going to get jostled next month. Twisted and turned and all of this. But I can find strength, security, and a bit of comfort gripping onto it tightly, knowing that Jesus has my eternity. That's why, that's why when I, I go to a funeral and I, in my in my role i can see people on their best day when they get married and i can see them on their worst day at a funeral it's one of the ups and downs of this role but i can be at a funeral and i can be talking with people and there is a glimmer of hope a glimmer of peace in that conversation they're processing tragedy and loss and grief and yet in those conversations people can still mourn, but they find hope and they find peace. Why? Because eternity is in their field of vision. It changes the way we look at today. When you've got eternity secured by Christ, and that's what he came to do, believe in him, right? He says that whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He resurrects us to life, eternal life. But he doesn't just stop with eternity. The story doesn't end there, right? It doesn't stop there. He doesn't just console Mary and Martha and say, yeah, it's done. Like, you're going to see him someday, right? Jesus resurrects us to a resurrected lifestyle. This is a phrase that I, I think I came up with. I don't think I stole it from anybody. But a resurrected lifestyle is something that challenges my thinking. But that's what Jesus resurrects us to. He resurrects us to eternal life. That's important. That's essential. We've got to hold on to that. But he also resurrects us to something else, a resurrected life, life today. Because what happens in the story? He meets with Mary and Martha, right? And then what? They roll the stone, and what happens? He doesn't turn to Mary and Martha and say, hey, uh, yeah, you're right. You're going to see him in heaven someday. You're going to die, and then it's going to be great in paradise, but it's a bummer he died. It doesn't stop there, does it? The story doesn't stop with Lazarus still in the tomb, and and that's because Jesus came to do something different. He came to show that resurrection power and true life is meant to be experienced today. Not just in eternity, but today. Because think about it, if it was just for eternity if all we are to be consumed about is eternity, why did he bring Lazarus back from the dead? He's already where he wants to be. He's in the presence of the one true God. You think Lazarus wanted to come back? He got a taste of heaven for four days. You think he wants to come back to this? Right? Anybody? No! But what was Jesus doing? He's showing them that when he says he is the resurrection and the life, it is that he resurrects us to eternal life, but he resurrects us to a resurrected lifestyle today. Because what happens is Lazarus comes back from the dead. And it shows the crowd what? Resurrection powers for today. Life is meant to be experienced today, not just in eternity. In verse 40, when Martha pushes back and says, Jesus, we shouldn't roll that stone, what does he say to her? In verse 40, Jesus tells Martha, if you would believe in me, you will see the glory of God. You will see it. You will will experience it. That's a lifestyle. Who else wants a lifestyle where God intersects our reality? Anybody? Anybody want... Resurrection power. Anybody want the life of Jesus to resurrect our lives and we can see the glory of God today, not just in eternity? Because Jesus is telling Martha, if you would believe, you will see the glory of God, not just forever, but right now. The crowds are awed. Everybody's just like, what just happened? Right? Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Martha and Mary freaking out. Everybody's excited. Why? Because resurrection power is for today. Romans 8 says that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is within you and I. It's not just some mystical power that's out there floating in the cosmos. The Holy Spirit resides within us. Why? Because he's promising that the resurrection power resides within his people. It's alive today. It's active today. We get to see and experience the glory of God today. To me, when I look at that, I see that's a new lifestyle, a new way of living. That the resurrection changes not just my eternity, but it changes my day. It's a complete change. A change in how I prioritize, a change in how I live, a change in how I see the world and how I operate in my world. And it's interesting, at the very end of the story... When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, Jesus tells him to change clothes, right? Did anybody see that? He said, Lazarus, we got to change those clothes, man. we got to get, get those things changed up. And what's interesting is when you're looking at Scripture, a lot of times, not all times, but a lot of times, clothing can be a metaphor for our lifestyle, for our actions, for our choices. So when there are different times in Scripture where you'll see them change clothes, And that clothing is a metaphor, a parable for throw off the old way of living and pick up something new. Because he doesn't say, hey, Lazarus, it's great to have you back. I know you're in your stinky rags of death. Let's go have lunch. He says, go change. Let him, make him free. Get him out of those things, right? That's not who you are anymore. You're not dead. You're alive. And that's the difference that the resurrection makes in us. It's not just securing our eternity. It's saying, hey, people, we are resurrected. Let's live alive today. Let's live new today. Let's abandon our old way of thinking and our old way of living and our old habits and our old priorities and our old addictions, and we'll lay those things down and we'll pursue something new. We'll get dressed differently today. Paul captures this idea of a resurrected lifestyle in Colossians chapter 3. Verses one through 17, I'm not going to read all 17 verses, but it captures this idea of a resurrected lifestyle. He says, "Since then, you have been raised from Christ, raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God." The resurrection is meant to be a catalyst for our living every day. It's not just, great, I got my ticket punched. Look at the way Paul describes this. Since you've been raised with Christ, there's that resurrection imagery, set your hearts on things above. That's where your priorities are. That's where your mind is. And you might read that and say, well, okay, so I'm supposed to just sit around and like think about eternity, right? Let's think about heaven and let's think about God and let's... Uh, theorize all these things. And, and nope, that's not what Paul, Paul says. Because if you continue to read in that passage, I told you to read through 17. Read, read the rest of it. What he's going to go into is talking about real practical things that we've been wearing, lifestyles that we've adopted. And he gets into the nitty-gritty practical when he begins to say, now put to death or bury the things of your past. He gets very explicit on resurrection lifestyle and differences. So it's not just sit around and, oh, let's set our minds on heaven and only think about clouds and golden paved roads. Live that resurrection today. Live differently today. When he says what? Put to death the things of your earthly nature. He says that in verse 5. He says "To, to put to death things like sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil and greed and idolatry, division, slanderous speech, hatred, rage. Pretty much we should just bury Facebook, according to Paul. That's what it is. Right? Slander, hate, rage, division. We should just bury Facebook. I just don't like social media anymore. But that's just me. That's not a Jesus thing. That's just a Sean thing. But there is this difference in the way that we live. Jesus resurrects us to a resurrected lifestyle. In Colossians 3 epitomizes that idea, burying who we were and resurrecting to new life something new. He says, bury the things, and I just listed a bunch of those things out, but then he says, be resurrected to the eternal, to the heavenly, to the Jesus stuff, things like unity, forgiveness, peace. Be resurrected to praise, be resurrected to forgive, be resurrected to a life of sharing wisdom and thankfulness and gratitude. Those are the things That we're resurrected too. This this has been an idea that I've, I've really wrestled with because I begin to see in the New Testament how often they talk about the resurrection being the catalyst for living a better life, living a different life, living a resurrected life. And for so long growing up in the church, I just thought, like, you're just supposed to be a good person. You ever felt that pressure? Just be Jesus, be perfect, be awesome, be good. Anybody ever feel that pressure as a Christian? Like you gotta just be all these things and you just, you kind of grit it out and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and I'm just gonna try real hard. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying like, well, now that you love Jesus, it's time to get your checklist out and clean your life up. He's saying the resurrection was so influential to history, but it was so influential to you. You did put to death your past. He resurrected, he jumper-cabled your soul, and you are new. When you jump a car, let's just, we're closing with this idea. When you jump a car, how many of you turn it right back off? Anybody? I think I made that mistake early on. I was like, I jumped it. All right, great. (laughs) The guy just looked at me like, What are you doing, dude? <laughs> you know, you're, you're 18, you just got your car, whatever. Yeah, all right, we jumped it back up. And, all right, I'm good, I gotta go back inside. No, you drive it around. You get going where you need to get going. He hasn't jumped your soul just so you can sit and idle in the parking lot of life. He hasn't jumped your soul from death to life so that you and I can just sit here and like, well, let's just wait it out till the battery's done. We're supposed to live, to live resurrected. And how many of us would agree that our culture needs to see a church that is alive? Our culture is much like that funeral scene with Mary and Martha. Our society is dead and broken and confused, and mourning, and frustrated, and angry, and trying to figure it out. Our culture desperately needs a church that is conduits of life. Not debate, not vitriol, not anger, not rage. I think people need to see, they need to see life. When you're at work, do they see the resurrection and the life in you? When you're sitting there on the soccer field this fall, will they see the resurrection and the life? When you're at the grocery store, when you're on your social media, will they see the resurrection and the life in you? That Jesus has brought you to life. Stop living in death. Stop living in things that don't bring life. I don't want to be somebody that takes life. I want to be somebody that gives life. I want people to walk away and say, that was refreshing. That recharged me. Not because Sean's amazing, but because they saw Jesus in me. Because the resurrection power that brought Jesus from the dead resides within me and it resides within you. You can be a conduit of life in your culture and I think that they desperately need it at this time. Jesus resurrects us to life and the resurrected lifestyle. And he asked Martha this question, and I'll I'll end with the same question. Do you believe this? That's all he had to say to her. Do you believe this? Because if you believe it, you'll see it. You'll experience it. Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life. Do we believe it? Can we live it? Let's pray. (music) If you'd like more information regarding Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.